Station, News Radio, Wham 1180. Downtown sunny and 23. I'm Todd Holliday, News Radio, Wham 1180. Next news at 9.30. Breaking news when it happens, anytime. Another hour with Bob Lonsberry starts now on News Radio, Wham 1180. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. Good morning, uh, uh, Americans, and hello, my friend. It's been a few weeks ago now, but there was a lady who called up, um, and she told about a time, it might have been 40 or 50 years ago, uh, she and her husband... Uh, he'd just gotten out of the service, and they were a young couple. Uh, they'd come to Rochester. They didn't have two dimes to rub together, and uh, yet they had to set up housekeeping. Uh, he had to get to work, and they had a, a life to begin. And the lady uh, uh, phoned. I don't know if you remember this, but they were standing there, I think at Maine and Goodman, and uh, they didn't know what to do. They walked into uh, Hoffman's Appliance, and uh, again, to a young couple, uh, he right out of the army, uh, African-American couple, and said, we are in a bind. We need furniture. We need appliances. We don't have anything. Uh, what advice do you give? And the lady told at the time about how uh, that afternoon at their little apartment, uh, they had the stuff they needed. And she, these decades later, uh, held Hoffman's uh, in her heart uh, dearly as a, a consequence. Anyway, kind of a slow motion pursuit uh, uh, of that topic. Learn more about that business and its history. We're honored to be joined by this generation's leader, uh, uh, Fred Hoffman. Sir, good morning and welcome to the broadcast. Good morning. It, it, when, when did your, when did your short store start? Tell us the story, please. Uh, this is quite a story. I will tell you that my grandfather, uh, in the late 1800s, uh, walked across Russia to get to the to America, uh, and in that period of time, got here. He was a lawyer in the old country, uh, and uh, he uh, came here. He and my grandmother opened up a candy store and musical instrument store, and uh, they sold musical instruments and rented musical instruments to the schools in the neighborhood. Uh, the store opened on Morris Street and Joseph Avenue originally. Uh, time went by, and my grandfather opened up a store on Main and Goodman, a small store where he sold records and um uh, record players and radios, if you remember the old radios, the beautiful pieces of furniture and so on that uh, many people bought from us. Um, the My grandfather, to go back just a little bit, uh, was a lawyer in Russia, and he would sit in front of the candy store on uh, Joseph Avenue and Morris Street and uh, do the paperwork so that relatives could bring their families over here uh and he did that for quite a while quite a period of time and and uh uh became very friendly and and uh, likable by everybody uh he moved that store i said to main and goodman uh and had a record department there and sold those radios uh and uh then, as appliances were invented, he moved across the street, started carrying laundry, uh, washers, dryers, refrigerators, and so on. And uh, my father, uh, very much involved in the business at that time, and this is probably the person that my that this woman remembered, uh, probably over sixty years ago, uh, 
he would bring people into the store, just as this lady said, uh, and he would offer them appliances, not knowing basically who they were. No such thing as credit checks in those days. Uh, it was just a handshake. And the handshake uh, went from a little payment book that he made where people paid a dollar down and a dollar a week until the appliances were paid for. Uh, never, ever having to chase after anybody. People were very loyal and very nice in those days. Uh, still are. Uh, the woman remembers that 60 years ago because as these people came uh, from the war and whatever, uh, my father treated everybody that way and tried very hard to get appliances. Uh, metal and steel was very difficult to get a hold of in those in those days. And uh, uh, this is how the business grew. Uh, we had the largest record department in the city at a period of time in the 40s and 50s. Uh, we had booths that people could sit in and listen to the records uh, and then buy them if they liked them. Uh, and they would buy their appliances, and we would deliver them with that handshake and with that delivery book, or that looked like a savings bank book. My father, when he was younger, had a motorcycle, and he would drive around and collect a dollar from people that couldn't get in the store to pay for it. Mark it in the book, of which I still have a couple of those books that customers have given me. And that's how the business grew. Uh, today, uh, we have moved that business from Goodman and Main to a plaza called Winton Place, which was originally Todd Mark Plaza. Uh, my brother and myself, my brother Steve, who passed away about 18 years ago, opened that store uh, around 52 years ago. Wow. And we've been at that plaza in that location ever since. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, we pride ourselves on the fact that, uh, for instance, if you call our store, you immediately talk to a salesperson. Uh, that you, You're not talking to a machine that you have to press one and two and three and hold and so on. We answer the phone as quickly as we can. They direct them to service or whatever the customer needs or answers their, their questions. Um, the business is now 120-some years old and, uh, thankfully, still going strong. That's and that's pretty much the story of the family. That's amazing, sir. What, what, what's, as you, you know, came into adulthood, came into the store and such like that, what, what sort of obligation or heritage did you feel? And, you know, at this stage of your life, as you look back on these three generations, what do you th think about the role you've played in the community, please, sir? Well, I originally, um, when I got out of school, went to work for B. Foreman Company and became a buyer of theirs for about six years. Uh, and then my brother, for reasons of his own, decided to leave the business. And at my that particular point, I said, well, I either stay where I am or I work with my father and try to build that business, which I did. Uh, and over the years, uh, uh, I was the front of the store and my brother was in the back. Uh, he did all the purchasing and I did all the selling along with a great group of salespeople. Uh, to which I now uh, felt uh, an obligation to the family business. When something is was that old, I just didn't want it to have to go downhill because my father was going to have to retire someday. And uh, uh, so he and I worked together for years, 
and then he retired at the age of 80. Uh, and that's when we basically closed the Goodman Street store because of the neighborhood changing and opening up the Winton Road store. Uh, and it's been a success. Our, our people are great. We are very knowledgeable, uh, or they are very knowledgeable. Uh, they are very helpful to the customer. We're not a pushy organization by any means. We all, uh, we, we, uh, deliver quickly. Uh, they can call us if they need service. They don't have to call some service company directly if they don't wish to. Uh, and I take pride in that family business and, uh, uh, hope I can stay with it longer. I'm at an age that possibly I should have retired a while ago, but, uh, I have pride in that business and don't want to leave it. It's natural, speaking to uh, Fred Hoffman of Hoffman's Appliance, uh, it, it, it's natural to ask, is, is there a fourth generation, uh, that will take it up, sir? No. Um, my daughter is a very successful radiologist, radiological tech. And uh, she's very happy with what she does, and uh, uh, I would uh, I would rather her be happy with what she's doing rather than uh, changing her yeah. her uh, job security. Yeah, the, the 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 situation like with the family, the lady who first called us, and uh, you know the easy payment system that you guys had. There, there clearly could have been better ways for the company to have monetized that. Uh, they could have profited uh, greater. Was there with your with your grandfather and your father? Was there? I mean, what what was their motivation for doing that? What was their relationship? Do you think, like personally, with customers? My grandfather, I did not know because he passed away in 1938. Uh, my father's relationship, and to this day, there are people who walk into my store to tell me what a great person he was, how how uh, knowledgeable he was, how easy he was to work with, and uh, how easily uh, he, uh, as far as uh, money was concerned, was very free and very easy with those people. And it, and it surprisingly, uh, every one of those people came in on a regular basis on that once a week or when my father collected from them, and it was just a, a, a great time. Fred Hoffman is with Hoffman's Appliance, third generation. Uh, this is a history question, but just ballparking. A lot of people came out in the late 1800s, 1900 from Russia, were often driven by by persecution. Was was that the nature of your your grandfather's exodus? What and 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 how did he end up, sir, in Rochester, please? Um, yes, he walked across Russia because that was the the first. Uh, uh, civil war that they had, right. not, not the 1900s, but the earlier one. Uh, and, uh, he was Jewish, and of course, Jews were being prosecuted, uh, and killed. Uh, and he just decided that, uh, he, uh, was going to make a better life for himself. And so he did walk across Russia, came to the United States. Uh, he did not come through Ellis Island. I've tried to do some research. Um, and uh, could not find his name, and the reason is that Hoffman really is not the original name. Believe it or not, after all this period of time, nobody seems to know what that original name was. I think the name Hoffman was given to him when he came into this country, but he did not enter through Ellis Island. There were other entry points uh, that he probably either came in in the south somewhere or in Boston or wherever, but we just can't trace 
That's the sad part about it. We can't trace any of his uh, previous life yeah. uh, from that period of time. Can you, can, uh, yeah. can you hold on just a moment, please, sir? Absolutely. I appreciate it. Fred Hoffman is with Hoffman's Appliance, uh, third generation. They're at Winton Place. We'll find out more about the business in just half a moment. A, a great family tradition. This is News Radio HD2. Welcome back. We're speaking to Mr. Fred Hoffman, third generation owner of a Hoffman's Appliance at uh, Winton Place. When your grandfather first came to town, sir, settled on uh, Joseph Avenue, then a vibrant uh, commercial area, and again, sort of the Jewish Main Street. Any family lore or history or remembrances from that era, sir? I don't. Uh, I was much. Too, I, I was born in '42, so um, I don't have remembrance of it myself. But I do know, as I mentioned, that he did bring people over because of his legal ability uh, to bring over people from the old countries, uh, from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, to settle here. Uh, and uh, uh, that was my knowledge or background of hearing about the family. Uh, but I was too young. I wasn't even yeah. born when he passed away. Sure. The, the, there's a new world. There's always a new world. 120 years you guys have been in business. The, in recent years, there have been labor issues, obviously, and there have been uh, other ways to buy appliances. How have you stood up in the face of those things, please? Um, not too difficult. Uh, the box stores came into town uh, and became uh, real competition. And at that particular time, if I go back maybe 35 years ago, uh we became members of a buying group uh, that allowed us to purchase merchandise at uh, pricing that we were able to compete very easily with the box stores. And today uh, the buying group has become stronger and stronger, which has made us stronger and stronger. We are certainly able to outsell the box stores. In fact, we guarantee that uh, and uh, never question. I think maybe we might get, a question once every couple of months that our price was uh, higher than theirs, of which we will immediately refund the difference uh, to the customer. And very rarely does it happen because we're on top of knowing what they're selling at all times. The salespeople that I have, the sales personnel, are so well no, so well know the product and are so personable uh, that uh, they sell themselves, and that's a that's a big big uh, uh, advantage to the business. Um, we uh, are never undersold. Uh, our, uh, uh, we deliver and install. We just don't drop things in the middle of your driveway as some places do. Uh, some out-of-town competition on the web uh, is really not competition to us after you put all the numbers together. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned before, when you call our store, you don't talk to a machine you talk directly to a salesperson who will immediately either get you service or answer your questions uh, with no problem. And every time I walk into a restaurant or I'm seen out in public, people are constantly saying to me how great it was with their purchase uh, that well, they good. had with us and how everything went so well. How have, uh, last question, Fred Hoffman from Hoffman's Appliance, 120 years um, what, how have the, the, the customers changed over your years, please, sir? Um, they really haven't. The customers we have, 
are uh, in most cases very easy and and very uh, uh, easy to work with and and uh, uh, I don't I don't see in my 50 some years of experience in the business much of a change in in customer relations uh, sometimes a customer can can be overly demanding but uh, uh, we'll follow along with them and do everything we possibly can for them but I don't find people to be any different today than they were before. That's They're more, a little more price conscious, of course. T- but, tell us, uh, if you could, real quick, your grandfather's name. My grandfather's was Joseph. Joseph Hoffman. Outstanding. Thank you so much for telling us his story and the story of your story, sir. I, I appreciate your time and all these years. Bob, thanks for calling. And uh, anytime, I'm more than happy to talk to you. It's a, you have a great show, and uh, I appreciate your asking me on. That's kind of you. Thank you so much. Fred Hoffman from Hoffman's Appliances. I love stories like that of his family, that business, and his grandfather. I wish I knew the man's real name. I wish I knew the story of his walk across Russia. It's time for news with Todd Halliday on News Radio Wham 1180. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. Uh, there was a, uh, I think on Friday it might have been a, uh, uh, a hearing of sorts in court um, about a situation which a uh, a lady who had been uh, on a jury uh, last year, uh, a, a, a juror number three in uh, the conviction of a man named Sean Appleberry, uh, a, a, a convicted of killing Desmond Diggs in March of 2022. The deal is that uh, after the trial, um, the juror number three on Facebook, it turns out that juror number three works with a child or children of the victim and juror number three had either liked or uh, shared uh, a Facebook memorial post which showed a picture to, I believe, of the deceased gentleman, uh, Mr. Diggs. And at any rate, uh, lawyers uh, for Sean Appleberry and his family were in court here, I think again on Friday, uh, demanding that the verdict be thrown out, saying that this showed a bias. And uh, so at any rate, there are two issues here. Um, One, uh, did the juror show bias? Did the juror fail to disclose uh, anything? Were there any questions asked in the jury selection process that weren't answered in an honest uh, fashion. Um, and, and, you know, so there's there's that issue. Did the juror do something wrong? I think there's another issue here as well. The seeming fishing expedition that somebody went on uh, trowling through months and months and months of the social media posts of a person, a citizen, who had served the community by sitting on a jury. Right. And if they searched for months and months and months, the social media posts of this juror uh, and they found something they thought they could use. And maybe it's significant or maybe it's not. That's that's for Judge Stephen Miller to decide. But um, one wonders if they likewise went through for months and months and months the social media posts of other members of the jury. And uh, one wonders if this troweling through the social media posting was done by the lawyer for this convicted uh, killer, Mr. Sean Appleberry, or if it was done by relatives of Mr. Appleberry. Um, Either way, 
it sort of raises just a little bit of a cautious pause uh, in one's mind. If you are potentially going to be um, a juror, um, to what extent do you thereby open yourself to uh, doxing and and harassment, right? You go and do your duty as a juror. Uh, now, all of a sudden, are you going to have either a lawyer uh, or pissed off relatives uh, coming after you on social media? Right. Um, if you're a witness in a proceeding, I think we know that they kind of come after you. Now, if you're a juror in a proceeding, is this an indication likewise that they uh, come after you, too? Again, I, I, there's no allegation that any harassment of the juror took place online, but it was clear that somebody was digging through the juror's social media stuff. And again, has that or does that become a common practice for people who are on juries? Can you now expect that, you know, relatives of the uh, accused or stuff like that are going to be, you know, uh, you know, tracking you down and snooping on you online. And and if so, what does that mean? And what will that do to willingness, for example, of people to be on juries? And also, is there not some? Um, is is should there be some statutory protection? Should we build a wall of law that says you got to keep your arms distance uh, away, or arms length away from from jurors? I, I don't know, but it it just uh, it seems a little much. Here, here's a uh, something similar. Uh, you know that the police accountability board and the other cop haters have all said. They want all officers to have large names so they can track down, you know, you, who, who's that officer, who's this officer. Well, it is, of course, useful to be able to identify what officers are where in case there's, you know, some question about conduct or whatever. But that's not really what that's about. What that's about is the now common practice of doxing, which is where you have someone's name and you use the power of the Internet to search down and find out everything you can about them, to harass them and violate their privacy and possibly even threaten them uh, or their their families, right? And the hatred that some of these people have towards police and the organization that these online Antifas have, these progressive, you know, uh, Internet warriors have, there'll be... You know, like any time any sort of incident involving a police officer pops up, um, as soon as that name is out there, literally, um, there are these progressive online activists who search out that person, find out where they live, how many kids they have, where their kids go to school, who the spouse is, where the spouse works, uh, who the parents are, your, they find everything they can, right? And during times of where there's been controversy where a police officer, like, you know, somebody dies or something, police officer is, you know, put on suspension or whatever, or leave, whatever they call it. Um, and back in the, the summer of Let's Hate the Cops in 2020, uh, it, it, officers' families were routinely harassed, right? Um, there's one uh, semi-famous incident of uh, the attack on the public safety building down here 
where they see the cop's name off his name tag, uh, they track down and they start yelling out the name of the cop's children, uh, right, As a, a, in a threatening fashion. I think that I've heard one story as well where while the event's going on, they had tracked down and they had gotten somehow that officer's home phone number and were calling that officer's home phone while the, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the riot was going on. And this use of, you know, we're all online somewhere somehow and information is, is available. There are people with sinister motives seeking to intimidate who use this information. And like an officer gets suspended or whatever else like that, often their home has to be put under a guard by other police because of threatenings that, that usher out, right? We, 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 Try not to look at these things. We try to ignore them, right? They're realities police have to deal with. And I just want to point out, if if now um, part of your appeal process is going to be to scour someone's social media presence to be up their wazoo with your Google searches, um, uh, uh, police officers, you know, they don't like this, but they can endure it. Um, do Do we think that jurors will do the same? These are all efforts to use intimidation, right? The the sense of violation as a weapon against police officers in the one instance, and to be honest with you, against jurors in the other. So at any rate, that's how that goes. And, you know, I think that more should be done to protect the identity of, of jurors, that thereby you might better protect the privacy of jurors. Um, did this juror do something inappropriate? I mean, does liking or reposting a coworker's post, does that disqualify you or mean that you're not straightforward and honest as you're uh, in your jury duties? I don't necessarily think so by any means. But uh, again, you have the question of how did you come to find out, right? And what windows were you looking through? Uh, uh, to learn that. 222 1180, the number. Back with you in just a moment on News Radio Whammy 1180. Welcome back, my friend. Welcome back. <clears throat> um, this is New York State, you, you may be aware. Um, the, the governor is in uh, town. That explains the odor. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Kathy Hochul, Siena Pole out today is underwater. Um, uh, her approval, 41, 41% of New Yorkers like her, 46% of New Yorkers don't. So, yeah, I stand proudly with the 46, okay? But, uh, she'll show up and she will do some stroke job and tell us how great she is. I honestly, I could live better if we just did a thing where we said, Governor, you are not wanted here. Stay away. No one's convinced. The politicians want to kiss your ass trying to get more money. Make them come to you. Okay, don't waste our six o'clock news time with your asinine assertions. And if you want to come here, why don't you go drive with somebody through the countryside and look at the damage you're doing to our heritage and our homeland through your asinine solar uh, farms. We are a solar ghetto, and Kathy Hochul is one of the reasons for that. I'm not a big fan. At any rate, um. Uh, this is the state of New York, and Kathy Hochul is, again, maybe you're one of her apostles. If so, well, blessed be your name, just like hers. But um, in the state of New York, some things are a little effed up, 
I'd like to give you an example of that, for example. Um, it's maybe while she's in town, they could ask her about, is it $2.4 billion she wants to give illegal migrants uh, this year Yeah, out of your pocket? Um, uh, give them bread out of your mouth? Right, You're born here. They came to our country illegally. Let me give you an illustration of how New York's so screwed up on this. In New York... Uh, the the average migrant, illegal migrant, illegal alien who's come here, uh, gets three hundred and fifty dollars a month per person for food. Right, so adds three hundred fifty dollars a month uh, for food. Um, if you are, that's if you're an illegal alien, came here, broke into our country. Who knows when you start your revolution? You've come to uh, colonize us, uh, whatever. Um, but uh, you've come to tear down America. Good luck. The Democratic Party stands at your service. But uh, illegal alien in this country or in this in this state gets three hundred and fifty dollars a month for food. The maximum SNAP benefit for American citizens or legal resident aliens is two hundred ninety one dollars per person per month. Let me repeat this just for a second. You can be a poor American. Right, a New Yorker who qualifies for the maximum food stamp benefit. Okay, you born here, and 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 here's the thing: a, a disproportionate percentage of uh, uh, people uh, getting SNAP benefits in New York are African American. Uh, African Americans largely their families have been here since the 1600s. Okay, into the 1700s, but so that's a long time. Is the point I'm trying to make? This is 20, what, 2000 and whatever. So 1600, there are African-Americans whose families have been in this, in this country, if you will, for 350 years, okay? And there are illegal aliens who came here last month, all right? And for 350 years, maybe the family of, of some of these uh, uh, SNAP beneficiaries who are African-Americans, for 350 years, their families have been living their lives working and building America, contributing to the society, okay? Um, and they may be in a situation where, okay, right now they get SNAP benefits. The maximum is $291 a month. For, for an individual who may well be descended from people who've been here for centuries, carrying the society on their back, right? Um, and uh, again, the illegal migrant gets $350 a month. If you are a poor person in Rochester and you want to get more money for food, um, go to Canada, uh, uh, relinquish your citizenship, and then walk back across the border you immediately get a $59 raise per month. So here's what I would say. This is not right, right? How is it? Is this, is about, is this about washing the feet? We're, we're, we're washing more Super Bowl feet? Is this what this is? Yeah, this isn't washing feet. This is bending over and grabbing your ankles, okay? This is not right, when people who break into our country, and again, a, a, a lot of these folks look at them. They're, they're very well fed, nice clothes, nice uh, barber shop, a good, good cut, how they came across the border, all looking nice and clean, how they got there, how much money they pay, right? So you have these foreign people, and God bless foreign people, but you come into our country illegally, and you are immediately entitled to more for food per month than our... American citizens?
right? Somebody who's down uh, in New York City, just got off a bus from Texas, is entitled from this state to more money per month for food than somebody I might see on my run out on Joseph Avenue today? Is that right? Is that how it ought to be? Is that justice? Is that progressivism? What that is is a big F you to everybody who's an American citizen. It's a particular F you to people who might be impoverished American citizens, right? This isn't their country. It is your country, right? This is your country. Whether you were born here in the city of Rochester, you're born in Puerto Rico, or born in Georgia, or born in whatever state in this republic, this is your country. And you ought to be first in line. Right? If there are hardship and difficulty, then access to the taxpayer's purse to pay to help you with your challenge ought to give preference to Americans to people whose country this is. And again, I, I'm a white guy from the southern tier, okay? So what do I know? But to say, in our listening area, we have some uh, challenging economic circumstances. The city of Rochester, city of Geneva, uh, Lyons. Yes, where I live in Mount Morris. Yes, in Batavia. There are some challenging economic situations in some neighborhoods and communities and, and, and in those neighborhoods and communities, there are a preponderance of people of color. And what $350 a month for aliens means, as contrasted, the number is 222 what that, that $350 a month for aliens means, contrasted with $291 a month for Americans is, you move to the back of the line, Right. The poor neighborhoods of this region, and it's not you get out in the in the rural area, very high uh, rates of poverty, very high uh, food stab dependence as well. The poor uh, people of New York moved to the back of the line to make room for folks who came to this country illegally. Tell me how that's right. That's not progressivism. That's stupidity, and it's backstabbing your American neighbors. Take a break. Get some news. Uh, after that, a story that will touch your heart. You love America. You love its military. You want to be listening after Todd Halliday on News Radio Wham 11. G. Rochester. First, fast, accurate. Rochester's news, weather, and traffic station. News Radio Good morning. It's 10 o'clock, sunny and 28 in downtown Rochester. I'm Todd Halliday on News Radio WAM 1180. This news is sponsored by the Open Door Mission. President Biden says he's considering more sanctions against Russia following the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. The high-profile critic of Vladimir Putin died in prison last week, and Biden told reporters he would be willing to enact additional sanctions on top of those already levied after Russia invaded Ukraine. The Biden administration is announcing nearly $6 billion in water infrastructure projects around the country. Projects in all 50 states are part of the latest round of funding to improve drinking water quality and modernize pipes. Vice President Kamala Harris and the EPA Administrator are outlining $5.8 billion in federal funding as part of the $1 trillion infrastructure law signed by the President in 2021. So far, about $22 billion in water improvement projects has been awarded. More than half of the funding in today's announcement 
announcement benefits the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund, used to upgrade treatment plants, distribution and piping systems, and lead pipe replacement. At the White House, Jared Halpern, Fox News. A suspect in Colorado University shooting is headed to court today. Police arrested Nicholas Jordan three miles from the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs campus. He's a student there and is accused of opening fire inside a dorm on Friday, killing two people. There is a guilty plea from the leader of a marijuana trafficking ring whose turf war with a rival gang led to the killing of a Rochester police officer. Rasheem Sullivan is pleaded guilty to one federal drug trafficking charge and one gun crime and is expected to receive nine years in prison. Prosecutors say Sullivan's ring clashed with a gang led by Brandon Washington. Washington then allegedly helped recruit Kelvin Vickers from Boston to kill dealers connected to Sullivan. Vickers was convicted in October of the July 2022 killing of Officer Tony Mazurkowitz, as well as those of two of Sullivan's dealers. Vickers' sentencing is still on hold due to information from a witness in a federal case who was with Vickers just before Vickers opened fire on Mazurkowitz and partner Sino Singh. Joel Askey, News Radio Wham, 1180. The Rochester City Council meets tonight and is expected to approve the professional services agreements for the North Clinton and Jefferson Avenue Neighborhood Ambassadors programs. The Father Lawrence Tracy Advocacy Center and the Baraka Muslim Charity will each get $125,000 for one year. The ambassadors will provide residents and visitors with referrals to local services, including addiction and mental health services. Also on the council agenda tonight is the city's plan to send more than two dozen area young people on a spring tour of four historically black universities. The city will be picking up the tab for travel, food, and lodging. State legislative leaders are reportedly close to naming appointees to the new State Commission on Reparations for Slavery. The governor, the Senate Majority Leader, and the Assembly Speaker will each name three members of the nine-member panel. At least some of those appointments are expected before the end of February, which is recognized as Black History Month. The commission is expected to begin meeting by June and deliver recommendations on possible reparations by the end of next year. Matt Wilson, News Radio, Wham, 1180. And a huge retailer is buying a popular TV brand. Walmart is buying TV maker Vizio for $2.3 billion. The deal is expected to give Walmart more opportunities to sell advertising and even create programming for shoppers. The Wall Street Journal says buying Vizio will also give Walmart information on TV viewers. Walmart's been spending years working on new ways to make money outside of selling things in stores stores and online, Walmart already owns the On brand, which sells TVs, phone chargers, and speakers. Ginny Coselda, Fox News. Checking the news radio, Wham! 1180, 30-minute ticker. The Dow's down 34 at 38,593. The Nasdaq's down 203 at 15,571. News radio, Wham! 1180,